All right, it is great to be together. This is the last week we talked about finishing strong. I hope you picked up the phone and called men this week and said, let's be here, let's be about it. But we are not about being here. We are here to strengthen each other's hearts, to remind each other of things that are true, to increase our thanksgiving to God that I'm not alone in this world, and to uh, ultimately be about it. That's what we want. I would just ask you as we start, uh, who is thankful that you have been a part of this these last um, eight weeks, right? Not individually. I'm asking, would your wife raise her hand? Would your coworkers raise their hand? Would your community raise their hand? Would your kids raise their hand? Would your dog wag his tail? Is somebody glad that you have been here being reminded of what it means to be a godly man? Because all, if all we do is come in here and talk about it, about um, what we should be as God's men, and there has not been in us um, a sense of life-givingness to others, then, man, we're just clouds without rain, springs without water, and um, we are just hearers of the word who deceive ourselves. And so I want you to know that um, my heart in the midst of this is that our time together has legs. I mean, it is encouraging to me that you guys go, I'm glad that I've been here. Just be reminded to be around other guys that go, this is what we do. This is who we are. And we're going to get after it. We are on the fifth attribute uh, of what it means to be a godly man. And, um, and this one is a catch-all. If you're like, I can't believe he didn't mention this thing, then uh, I'm going to cover it this week, right? We, we talked about how godly men step up. They lead, initiate. They're men of action. They assume it's their moment. It's um, their responsibility. They hate apathy. They reject passivity. That was week one. And then we talked about how our godly men will speak out because they know it's um, their responsibility to, um, to, to not be a reed shaken by the wind, but to be individuals who um, are going to show that there's not a curse in the land because God hasn't removed the prophet. We said that silence in the midst of sin is a sin. And so we're going to be courageous. We're going to speak the truth in love. Fear God, not men. Uh, we talked about the fact that when we do that, we're not going to be surprised that we're going to be uh, challenged, attacked, or criticized. But we're not going to give in. We will stand firm or stand strong. And then we have to realize that we can't do any of these things if we're not humble, if we're not vessels through which God lives in and works through us. We're going to get to the last one this week, and it's just serve the king. We're going to seek, we want to be men that seek first his kingdom, his glory, his righteousness, his purposes, if you will, we're going to be men who hope ultimately in the eternal, and we're going to live for a greater reward. That's what men do, is they know who they are. Part of humility is knowing who is your king. Last week we talked about, as we were speaking about staying humble, we talked about the fact that there's lots of guys who accept the story of Jesus. They, they're okay um, with the idea of a cross and even the, the concept of a resurrection and even their own sin. There are guys that will go, yeah, I know I'm not perfect. If God is perfect, then I'm separated from him. And God, you know, um, seems to have done something in the context of history that has changed the world. And apart from this sacrifice that was he himself and the person of his son dying for me, I wouldn't have a chance. I need a savior. Jesus is my savior. And they'll say that. They'll know the story. They'll check the box. They'll go, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Hindu. I'm not an atheist. I'm not agnostic. They would check the Christian box, but they are not men who follow him as Lord. 
one of the things that marks you as a man of God is that you are a man of action. You serve. That is a do verb, right? I guess a verb is an action, right? Serve is something you do. So listen, we want to be mighty men. If you want to just open your Bible up to 2 Samuel chapter 23. We're not going to um, read all of it because there's a list here of about 37 names, but this is where in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8, you're going to find a list of what are called David's mighty men. And they are not actors. They are not theologians in word only. They're mighty men because they were mighty indeed. They were mighty in what they had done. They didn't just sit there and wave palm branches. But they picked up their cross and they followed their king. I, I, just remember, we're in the middle of um, Resurrection Week that when we're, when we're um, you know, having this together. It's, it's the middle of um, the Passion Week of, of Christ. And you have to remember, all of Israel said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, the Lord saves. Jesus, you're the one. And they laid their coats down and they threw a parade for him, but they went on about their business. And when push came to shove, they denied him. I'm not talking about the disciples. I'm talking about the nation. Giving lip service to Jesus does not make you a servant of Jesus. It makes you somebody who gives lip service to Jesus. What makes you a mighty man are these things. So look at verse eight. These are the names of the mighty man whom David had. What we want to be is mighty men of God. And so we want to be guys who, who live for him. That's what the mighty men did. And so watch this. I'll just pick out a few things there in verse eight. Um, as a guy whose nickname was Adino the Esnite. <laughs> Sounds like he's right out of, you know, uh, you know, northern Italy, and he was part of the gang. You know what I mean? It says, because 800 were slain by him at one time. And then you got Dodo the Ahohite, one of three mighty men in verse 9, uh, who along with David defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle when the men of Israel withdrew. I put men in quotes there. This brother arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and he clung to his sword. And then we get down to another guy who's described, uh, Adjita Hararite. In verse 12, it says, this guy took his stand in the midst of a, the plot, um, a, a field full of lentils, when everybody else, again, fled. He stood, and he did. He struck the Philistines. And then it goes on. Let's just go down to verse 18, all right? This is a guy named Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah. He was the chief of the 30. He swung his spear against 300 and killed them. Then verse 20, then uh, uh, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man, Kabazil, who had done mighty deeds. By the way, notice, son of, son of, son of, faithful, faithful, faithful. My prayer is because we've done this, there's gonna be generations of godly men that come out of your loins, your discipleship, your heritage. But look at this brother. It says, he went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit in a snowy day. How's that for a resume? He jumped down into a pit and killed a lion on a snowy day. I like that little detail. Uh, not only that, he killed an Egyptian, an impressive man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down with a club and snatched a spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Listen, 
You read 2 Samuel 23, and what you'll see is these are men of action who didn't just say they loved the king. They didn't just sing songs about the love for the king. They served the king. And so I want to just ask you this, and I'm going to say it now. I'm going to say it again at the beginning. What's different? What in your life is different? Because you say, I'm going to be God's man. Who has noticed? And by the way, one of the worst things that we can do is tell everybody we're going to be a mighty man. Mighty man. No, what you're going to find out is these guys were mighty men because they did mighty things. And everybody goes, you must be one of David's mighty men. Why? Because you're doing things that advance the purposes of the king. That's what makes you God's man. It's not that I want to be God's man. It's not that I'm talking about being God's man. It's that I am God's man. I say this all the time. I, I, when I'm talking to guys about just the discipline of self-leadership and about being about it, I ask guys three questions. Here's the first question. Do you want to be a godly man? And I don't find very many guys who go, no, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I want to be about me and live for fleeting things and face judgment. I, just, I don't find many guys who, who stick their chin out that way, Right? So when I ask guys, do you want to be a godly man? They go, yes. And then I say the second question is, well, does God want you to be a godly man? And they go, well, of course. And then I ask the third question. Are you a godly man? Because if you go yes, yes, and then you say no, the reason you say no to the third question is because you answered the first question incorrectly. You are never going to desire God's will more than he desires his will for you. The Lord is, is ready to strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. There is nothing that is keeping you from being God's man from his side. It's always ours. And lip service doesn't make us godly men. What makes us godly men is that we do. It just frustrates me to no end that sometimes I go, you know, I just want to be a guy. I mean, I, I, want, to, I want to be a Christian. I, you know, I want to accept who Jesus wants me to be and just live in the grace of God. I don't want to do, 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 do. And I'm just like, man, I don't think you understand grace. Grace, grace compels us to, to respond. That's exactly what Paul says. It's the love of Christ that controls, controls me. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is when God gives us something we don't deserve. And what God gives us is a chance to be conscripted into his family. We are traitors and we are self-willed men and we are men that deserve to be executed by the righteous king. But he has said, if you'll just acknowledge that you've betrayed me, if you acknowledge there's no life apart from me, if you acknowledge that the mighty angels of God are going to... Um, go from the east to the west and bring every man to his knees and bring him to a place of judgment and that you know that you're part of those men that have betrayed me and you ask for mercy and you see my provision for you and you know that I love you and want to restore you to the man that you should be, then you're in. And when you see that God has done that, he just says, let's go to work. Then be my men. No longer be a slave to self and unrighteousness. But this is what we do. We are saved, made men of God, 
part of his family. We are saved by grace through faith alone. But I'm gonna tell you something, guys, that the faith which saves is never alone. It's never alone. It's always accompanied by works. This is exactly what James is saying. James isn't saying that you're justified by your works, but that your faith is justified. In other words, it's proved as genuine faith by the fact that you go on being about what you say that you're about. You understand that? Paul says we're saved by grace through faith alone. Paul says the faith, uh, uh, James says the faith which is alone is a dead faith. He's not saying that you've got to do things to be saved. He's saying if you're saved, you'll do things. Not to earn God's love. This is not, as I've said, ad nauseum to my friends. It's not performance-based acceptance. It's acceptance-based. I accept the reality about myself, the truth about God, and he's love for me, and so I will live for him. And I'll become his mighty men. And what do mighty men do? They just jump down into a pit and they take on lions on snowy days. They take on impressive men. Uh, this week, um, there was a study that re was released by folks who look at these things, a guy named George Barna who studies them. You may or may not have heard um, about this study. I, 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 the, some folks up at, in New York at Fox News uh, called and asked if I would jump online and have a discussion about some of these facts. And, and here's a few of the facts. It's 69% of uh, pastors apparently feel pressured um, about whether or not they should speak on controversial issues. 50% of those pastors worry about offending somebody. And so they, they don't speak about issues that may be offensive uh, to, to their people. And uh, Ed Henry, in this little segment that I was on, um, he just said, Pastor Widener, do you feel pressure? And, I, and I, I, my response to him was just, well, like, I don't really care what I feel. The question is, who am I? And what am I responsible to do? The scripture says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, I told him this, we are ambassadors for Christ. In other words, I serve my king. It's as though God himself is making an appeal through me that men are reconciled to him and walk with him. And what I would tell pastors is if you're gonna feel pressure Feel it from your king. Feel it from the one that you are here to serve and represent. That's where you should feel pressure because that's the one that's gonna hold you to account. Let me ask you guys, do you, do you feel pressure from the Philistines? Because if you don't, it's probably because the Philistines go, well, that's not a problem. That guy will either just stay silent and let us do whatever we're going to do or he's fighting with us. So we are going and have to be, if we're gonna be godly men, um, doers of the word. Our God is a God of action. He's not passive. He demonstrates his love. He seeks, he saves, he sacrifices, he rescues, he restores, he gives. He is a life-giving spirit. So let me just ask you again, guys, what's different? What have you done? One of the worst things we can do is say, we're gonna be godly men and then not be those godly men. I would not tell you to start marching around saying, I'm gonna be a godly man. I would just be a godly man and I would tell people, I would be unashamed of who my king is. We were doing a summit. I, I was actually looking at an email this week. We did a summit in 2007. It's a member of our body. His name was Truby McDougall. 
And uh, one of the things I challenged men in 2007 with is, listen, could you be convicted, and I didn't use the word of being a mighty man of God, but do people at your office know who your king is? Are you just a a do-gooder? By the way, I'm not a big fan of random acts of kindness. Mighty men don't do random acts of kindness. Mighty men always serve their king. Everything they do is informed by their love for their king. And they're not afraid to tell people, hey, listen, the the reason I do this is because I love Jesus. When people say, man, that really encouraged me today. I I love to tell people I'm so glad because you know what? God loves you and God wants you to be encouraged and I'm his servant. And so what you're seeing in me that encourages you, if it's good, it's of God because every good and perfect gift comes from above. And you just need to know something about me. People didn't used to say that I encouraged them. People used to shun me and and walk away from me because I was destructive and selfish. And I'm so glad that you see in me the kindness that God wants you to see because I'm his. How hard is that? I'm not a mighty man. I am his mighty man. (sighs) Truby um, heard me ask if people at his office would know you know, um, that he's a mighty man. In fact, would they convict him of being a mighty man of Jesus if there was a trial? And he heard me just kind of ask that question, so he went down, he worked at an architectural firm, and he shot an email out. And he just said, hey, I gotta ask you a question. Do you guys know who I am? And if there was a trial, and you guys were called as witnesses, would your testimony convict me of being a mighty man of God? He said, that turned into all kinds of conversations. He said, most of them were fluff, polite conversations. Oh, no, you're a good guy. I've never heard you cuss. Now that I think about it, you don't drink. And those are not things that in the end of themselves, you know, define themselves as a mighty man. He just says, you know, there's a lot of cultural compliments that I got. But there were a few guys that responded. And one guy sat him down and said, you know what? I could neither testify that you are or that you're not. I just don't know. Do you think that people knew that Adino the Esnite was a mighty man? Do you think they knew who he served? Do you think he was okay with Philistines having his picture up somewhere saying, look, if we're gonna continue to maraud, rape, and intimidate, we gotta deal with Adino the Esnite. Because that brother's about it. Adino loves his king. Let me just remind you about David. David was not about David. David was about another king. That's why when we started this whole thing in the first week, we talked about stepping up. David gave his inaugural address. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I shall, I will, I will. He was a man of action. And David really didn't care what happened to him as a result of defending the name of God. There were a lot of giants that mocked his God. And everybody else fled, and David stepped up and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dares taunt the army of a living God? And people are going, he's a big nine-foot-tall Philistine, David. And David said, I don't care, because I'm a servant of the king. And if that's what God brings before me, I'm going to take it on. That's what mighty men do. And when you do, you're going to be attacked and you're going to be criticized. Uh, We love our king, Jesus, because he was a God who serves us, right? This is um, 
Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be sung to, to have parades, to look for palm branches. He didn't come so that guys would gather once a week and sing tribute songs to him. The Son of Man came, the Scripture says, not to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down, to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you remember what I said to you the very first week we started this entire thing? What made Jesus so great? Jesus is a king worth serving because he was a life-giving spirit. He didn't take from you. He gave to you. He was a man of action. And remember what I said you loved about Jesus the very first week? What makes you love Jesus? And it had nothing to do. What makes you respect Jesus? And it had nothing to do with his athletic accomplishment, his sexual conquest of women, or his financial success. What may you love Jesus, what makes the world love Jesus is that he didn't come to be served but to serve and be a man of action. Now when you do that, you can be sure that it's not gonna always go well with you and we've had this conversation uh, many times but in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 23, Jesus knew this and if you're going to do this effectively, if you're going to love your wife when she doesn't seem lovable, if you're gonna say no to yourself and serve your kids, it's gonna feel like there's, there's an eternal death and eternal persecution, and there is. I mean, dying is not easy work. God isn't looking for us as men just to stand up one time and give public testimony while they put a bullet through our head. That, that, that takes courage for sure, but honestly, it's a lot easier than living day by day in faithfulness and following Jesus and taking up your cross and following him. And especially in the midst of our prosperity. I've talked to a lot of guys in countries where there's a lot of persecution. And I go, I want you to know that we're praying for you. And I'm impressed with the way you're standing firm. They go, don't be impressed. I've got no other option but to cling to Jesus. What I'm impressed by, Todd, is in your prosperity and in your freedom, you seek Jesus as radically as we do. We pray for you and we marvel at your faith. That you live not in the midst of pending death, and suffering, we see the fleetingness of this world. We're ready to go home, but, it, but we see you living in prosperity and freedom, and we still see you disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness, and we marvel at your faith. But here's my question. Would they marvel at your faith if they saw you, or would they just see you sing fight songs to your king, but really be about yourself? Jesus didn't just give lip service to God, he was about it. This is the verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. I've mentioned it a bunch, is that there's only two times in Scripture where it says specifically Jesus did this as an example. One of them is in John 13, when he picked up the towel and he washed his disciples' feet, and he said, this is not about you. This is about caring for others, clothing yourself in humility. I'm doing this as an example for you. This isn't the place where you exalt yourself. It's my job to exalt you. It's your job to humble yourself. Humble yourself, therefore, in the mighty hand of God. I will exalt you in due time. David, God said through Jesus, be a servant. And then the other time, he says, is suffer, because you can be sure the Philistines won't like it when you serve your king. And so it just says that Jesus suffered for you. And he left you an example that you should follow in his steps. Well, what were the steps that you should follow in? Here we go. Though he committed no sin, and that's not your job. That's why you need a savior. 
But your job is when you commit sin to acknowledge it's sin and to deal with it, confess it, repent of it, forsake it, make amends, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But Jesus, who committed no sin, nor is any deceit found in his mouth. In other words, he wasn't duplicious. He wasn't saying one thing and doing another. And while being reviled, it says, then in verse 23, um, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he did not utter threats. But watch this. This is what great servants do. They know who the king is. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. So you guys, this is, this is what you've got to figure out is who is the king? I mean, who's really the king? And our king has told us, don't be surprised at the fire deal among you. I mean, I'm not going to go too far in this because it's my entire message this weekend as we talk about what Easter really suggests and what Easter should produce and, and, and why we live a certain way. But I'll, I'll just give you a little bit, bit of a preview. I mean, as believers, this is our hell. And Jesus says, don't be surprised at hell. You're at war and no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. You're not here to establish a business and to further your renown and your comfort. You are at war against the Philistines. And the war that we fight is not one where we're taking captive um, the flesh of men, but the souls of men. And our instrument uh, of war is, is, is love and taking captive every thought and standing up against uh, speculations and uh, false ideas against who God is and what the purpose and meaning of life is about, and we're bringing in the subjection of who Christ is. And we live as if we know what the purpose of life is. In other words, we serve. We don't look for more comfort. We don't try and become men through athletic accomplishment, sexual conquest, or financial success. In fact, if God gives us financial success, we further his kingdom, not our comfort. We know we're here to make a difference and not a living. But when we live, and if God blesses us, we thank him for the um, Kevlar-reinforced Humvee, and we use it at war, not to drive around the suburbs with the music turned up. This is what the scripture says here in uh, Revelation 22. It's the way the, the whole book closes um, uh, when he's just telling us, he says, look, I'm the king and I'm coming quickly. And my reward is with me. And I'm gonna render to every man according to what he has done. I'm the alpha and the omega, right? I mean, this whole series, if I had a title, it would be Echo Homo, Echo uh, homo, behold the man. Jesus says, I am the alpha dog. I start this thing, I end this thing. And I'm looking for good men. And good men aren't good because they put together a resume of good deeds. They're good because they know that God is good and they affiliate with him in humility. They acknowledge their sin. They ask him to clothe them in his righteousness. They ask him to uh, reshape their heart and to strengthen their soul and then they are about it and they decrease so he would increase. It's not their spirit which makes them strong. It's God's spirit that they yield to. They know he's the beginning and the last. It says, blessed are those 
Watch this. You got to do this first, men. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. We are brought into the presence of God, not according to deeds which we have done in righteousness, not because of things that we do, but because of what he has done. And we enter the gates of the city because of what Christ has done for us. But because of what he's done for us, we do everything we can for him. And we are not surprised that while we're in a war that is led by Philistines, I mean, in a world that is led by Philistines, that we will be reviled and that we will suffer. But our hope is in the eternal. And we live for a greater reward. And so let me just ask you, do you, you remember this guy? I, I put his picture up the very first week in the introductory week, all right? Um, Ehud, right there. You remember Ehud? He's been dead now for about eight weeks. He was a billionaire diamond trader. He died tragically in France about eight weeks ago trying to get his unit enlarged because he didn't know what a man was. I didn't tell you that the first week, but what he said the very first week was uh, that the only time he felt big, because he, he had a, what they said in Napoleon complex, he was small in stature. And so it was his money and his financial accomplishments and the way that women responded to him that made him feel like a man. And so when he couldn't find women around to make him feel like a man, every day he would go to his accountant several times a day and go, tell me how much money I have, tell me how much money I have. And then he would smile and feel good. He's been dead for eight weeks. He hadn't been sitting here with us learning this. But let me ask you a question. What have you done for the king that Ehud hasn't done the last eight weeks? What have you done because you're here and you say you know the king and you're not going to give yourself to fleeting things? What's different in the world because you didn't die getting your penis enlarged eight weeks ago? What women go, I think I trust men more than I used to because they ran up against you. What children go, there must be a God who lives because my dad changed. What individuals at your office go, you know what? There's a different sort of dignity around here and strength and kindness and love and character and integrity. And if there is a God, there's a different God honoring here because you have been in their offices. What neighbors go, you know what, I'm so glad I live in this neighborhood because God apparently put his man on this street because of me. I mean, uh, for me. Guys, I'm just telling you, if we are not about it, if we're just playing church here, then we're not serving our king. A call to be a Christian is a call to be a man of action, a Christ follower. And don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Don't be surprised that it's difficult to die to yourself. Of course it's difficult to die to yourself. That's what dying is. We just made some notes. Men, just to be God's man, to be a great man, you must share the life of Christ, which is suffering for the glory of others and serving for the good of others. That doesn't make us godly men. It's because we're godly men that we do these things. Todd, what have you done today to give life to another person as opposed to add life to yourself? Are you a mighty man? Where's the pit? Where's the lion that you've dove, dove in and taken on? Where's the, where is the impressive Egyptian that you stripped his spear because you spoke words of truth with kindness? 
Did you work for more comfort for you so that you could create, did you, or did you live to create more comfort for others? Did you speak to give life to others, or did you use your strength uh, to intimidate other people to pro- or to protect other people? Did people rejoice because they were under your authority, or did you use your authority to keep people under you? Every second of Christ's earthly life was a death for him, yet every minute of his offering up of himself and submitting to his Father's will was a source of life for others. He models what it means to die to self, to give others life. He models what it is to be a non-toxic, life-giving man. Offering your life for others is not the end of yourself. It is the beginning of who you were created to be. Apart from him, you can do nothing. With him, you can live in a way that is glorious and God-exalting. Giving up your life to follow Jesus is not the end of everything. It's just the end of self. And when a man forgets himself, he usually does something that everybody else remembers. I want to remind you that the greatest leaders don't tell other people what to do and don't do it themselves. We serve a king who we're going to celebrate tomorrow who gave his life for us so that we who were Philistines could be grafted in as his mighty men. And he didn't just then make us his mighty men so we could wave palm branches and sing. He is refortifying us, revivifying us, and he is letting us participate with him as if he himself were entreating others through us. He didn't just want your vote. He's going to make you an ambassador. He wants to make you mighty men. That others love the king because the king's men love them. Guys, God saves us from our death and judgment. But I want you to know, he does then provide for you not just the greatest life to come, but the greatest life there is. When you read 2 Samuel 23, you just go, I want to be one of those guys. I want to know who the true king is, the one who's going to ultimately win, and I want to serve with him. I want to I learn to wield the sword. I want to stand firm and not retreat when everybody runs away. I want to have a breastplate on of righteousness and not flee when the wicked pursue me. I want to have the helmet on of salvation. I know exactly what it is that God has done for me and who I am. And I'm going to lift up the shield of faith through which I put out the flaming darts of the enemy. And I'm going to wield the sword of the Spirit. And I'm going to take down mighty fortresses which are lifted up against the throne and the kindness of God. And I'm going to go to war. I'm not going to entangle myself in the affairs of everyday life. I'm going to serve. I'm not just going to sing. I'm going to serve. This is the way we started the very first week. It was the commencement address of David, who was a servant of the king, and he said, I will sing of um, the the love and justice of God. I will praise your name forever. Now watch what it says in verse 2. This is Psalm 101. He says, um, uh, I, I, will, uh, I, w- I will live within my house in the integrity of my heart. He says, um, I will have, uh, live in the blameless way. And then tucked in between those two things, it says this. 
when will you come to me? When will you come to me? In other words, David was ready. Because he says in that, I will give heed to the blameless way. Because he says, I will walk with integrity. When will you come to me? I'm ready. Because I'm serving the king. Jesus tells parable after parable, hey, when the king comes, make sure you're doing what the king wants you to do. Because it will go well with you. For God is not so unkind as to forget the love which you have shown towards his name and having ministered to and still ministering to the saints. So this is what righteous and faithful men do. They give heed to the blameless way. They walk within their house in the integrity of their heart, and they're ready for when their king comes back to be caught at war. The war against flesh, the war against the ways of this world, and the war against the enemies of God, the powers, the principalities, the spiritual forces of darkness, So guys, serve the king. Live for the greater reward. Hope in the eternal. Seek his kingdom, his righteousness, and his glory. Let's be about it. Father, I pray for these men that they would be ready, that they would just say, Lord, come, because I'm not laying there trying to... um, Make my penis bigger. I have girded up my loins and I am running. And I'm speaking to them all that you have commanded me. And I'm not going to be dismayed, Father, because I don't want to be dismayed by you, my king. Father, would you keep us from being men who just give lip service to you, who wave palm branches and then walk away and worship ourselves? Fathers, we go right now to meet as men. Would you just have us look at each other and go, hey, what's different? Where have we stood against evil when everybody else fled? What have I done to train my fingers for battle so I could serve my king more? Where's the platoon that I am committed to to walking with and serving with so that I don't go fight alone? Where's the discipline in my life so that I might please the one who's enlisted me as a soldier. Father, thank you for the dignity and purpose you've given us. Thank you that you've clothed us in your righteousness alone. But help us to rightly respond to that righteousness. Help us to be men. May women and children rejoice because men have shown up. May evil be put on its heels and run. And may our king be loved. We thank you that you're going to come one day and you're going to find every bit of darkness in every corner that we couldn't get to. But help us to get to it in every way that would give you glory. And help us not fear the battle. Help us not mind the reviling. Help us to not get weak when people utter threats. But Lord, make us men that keep entrusting ourselves to the one who judges rightly and live for that greater reward. I thank you for this army of men that want to be about it with me. By your grace, may we do that now in Christ's name. Amen.